But I get to the top and I'm like 10 inches, 10 inches away. <laughs> I'm like, no, my gosh. So I have to ooch out of the bosun's chair and I'm just gripped to the mat, like Kung Fu death grip. But I finally get the halyard, get back in the bosun's chair and everything is on me is shaking. My legs are shaking. The calves are shaking, you know, kind of anxiety, fear, exhaustion, everything. I've never had a fear like that, but also an appreciation of just where we're at, what we're doing and then living in your skin. You know, I was, I was in that moment. There's nowhere else in the world my mind was at <laughs> and then right there, which is a cool feeling. Yeah, it's better than sitting at your desk waiting for 5 p.m., but pretty harrowing. Episode 75, Life Aboard a Sailboat with Annie Dyke. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Welcome to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Travis. On today's show, Annie Dyke is with me to talk about living a more relaxed life on a sailboat. In a former life, Annie was an attorney, but she traded in that high-stakes litigation for a lifestyle of adventure on the water. She and her partner, Philip, now spend life cruising up and down the Florida coastline, the Florida Keys, and soon the Bahamas. Annie is the author of the Amazon bestseller, Salt of a Sailor, and spends time writing for her blog as well as working on social media marketing for her clients. Annie, welcome to the show. Hey, Travis. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. So I have to ask, where are you guys uh, stationed right now? Where are you parked? I should say in my uh, the bedroom of our apartment. No. <laughs> <laughs> Pensacola, Florida. Okay. It's Pensacola, Florida. You're on the uh, just about the East Coast, on the, around, the, around the corner from the East Coast. <laughs> I have to say, though, it's like the, the most phenomenal place. We just We really love it here, no matter how much we travel and how far we go. Pensacola has like the downtown restaurants, the surfing, the kiteboarding, the cruising, like it's definitely going to be central hub of some sort forever. It's just a perfect place for us. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you don't have to deal with the winters either. That's true. <laughs> I get yep. It's like, ooh, 58 here. That's chilly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. So give me the kind of the overall, how you got started. What got you started in sailing? Where, where did you, what did you do to get where you are now? And I love this story because it starts where all classy things do um, late one night at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, but um, I actually, to begin with, initially, I had no connection to sailing. I certainly didn't do it growing up, you know, on little hubby cats or skiffs out there. I was um, I actually grew up in New Mexico. And um, so I was split between New Mexico and Alabama. My um, parents were split when I was young, but I would travel back and forth to those two states. And so I was nowhere near saltwater or the ocean or bay or gulf or and you'll have to correct me throughout. I call everything the ocean. <laughs> Even a little puddle, puddle of water is the ocean. <laughs> but I was nowhere near salt water. And um, I met Philip one night and we started talking and he was going to visit some friends that were down in the Grenadines on their sailboat. And the whole idea just kind of baffled me, like cruisers and liveaboards and they live on their boat and they travel the world. I was kind of like, what is this? Totally new concept to me. But um I'm the adventurous sort, you know, rock climbing, scuba diving, barrel racing. I did all kinds of stuff when I was young. And so I was definitely interested and curious 
and I was uh, into Philip, which meant I was into sailing. And he was looking to get a boat about that time. Uh, he had a a family member pass away who wanted to sail. And so that's always like a slap in the face, you know, that life's short and do it now. So he was ready to get a boat for sure. So we started shopping and my very first sale was one of the first boats we looked at. It was a stub uh, story that was published in Cruising Outpost. Um, great story, but it, it was blowing like stink, like 22 knots and the boat heeled over and I was totally useless. I just watched everything fall out of my pocket and just enjoyed the ride. I just thought it was the thrill ride. And the guys were like, well, if you're still on board, then let's let's do this boat shopping thing. So we kept shopping, and Philip and I found our boat that we have now is a Niagara 35. It's um, Hinterholer, Canadian built. And the more I look at boats and know about boats, it's just it's the perfect blue water boat for us. We're super thrilled with it. But we got the boat. We quote unquote bought it. And my first question was, so when are they going to deliver the boat to us? And, and Philip's like, hon, they don't deliver boats like this. It's That's massive. our job. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, it's not just going to come on a truck to the front door. You know, like what's going on here? But um, so the first my very first official cruise, it was my actual other than that one hour sail where we were looking at a boat was a five day passage across the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> he jumped right in. Yeah, kind of like getting kicked out of the nest and splatting on the concrete. I was like, whoa, but I jumped on board, went with Philip, and we had one other crew member, Mitch, um, who came along because he just knew a little bit more about sailing. But I still say he's the second mate and I'm the first just because I was there first. And um, <laughs> I got the title. So we went and it was uh, the book, uh, my first sailing book, covers that whole saga from looking for the boat, finding the boat, and sailing it back across the Gulf. Um, we lost a couple crucial uh, engine parts. We lost a, a crewmate almost. I mean, it was just one of those harrowing passages where everything goes wrong that can possibly go wrong. But we somehow survived it, and um, I was definitely hardy enough to make the trip. And the joke was, what we kind of learned is, while I knew nothing about sailing or cruising, I somehow was like the right cut of cloth for it. I... um like I said, from New Mexico to Alabama, my dad was a long haul truck driver and he would come pick us up in his old Peterbilt and we would, me and my brother would live in the sleeper cabin and like, this was the kind of lifestyle I was used to. So I was totally comfortable living in tight spaces, fixing things with the duct tape and bailing twine. Like it was, I was just kind of like, this is good. I'm good. I can handle this. And it just, I just really sort of fit into that mold. The sailing I had to learn, but the cruising just sort of how to survive, be frugal, modest, resourceful. Just kind of worked, I, I guess, just being kind of a little bit of a redneck. <laughs> I'll tell you, that's, that's a benefit, and I'm not going to be shy about it. <laughs> you got to get creative with some um, troubleshooting and, and fixing. <laughs> but certainly loved once we started doing it. Self-reliance is key when you're out in there, whether you're in a, a semi-truck or on a sailboat, either way. Right. You need a lot of duct tape. I would always keep um, Dasani water bottles come in handy and pins like shafts of pins <laughs> just trust me <laughs> that's funny yes dasani water bottles work well as funnels i've figured out too oh well then have you read my book yet no nope. <laughs> <laughs> my own experience we called it a transmission fluid catch bin <laughs> yes yes it catches All a lot time. of things having to do with motorcycles too <laughs> Right on. So tell me about the boat you said it's a niagara 35 can you go into some more detail about the setup the boat of the boat? What's the plan of it? I mean, paint the picture for people that are, are uh, you know, in love with the idea of, of doing this and what their layout might be if they're going to live aboard a boat. Sure, sure. And I'm, I'm actually glad you asked about that because um, 
I'm starting soon uh, a YouTube channel with some videos uh, just of our cruising lifestyle and kind of what it's like. And that's one I get all the time. You know, what does your boat look like? How big is it? What does it feel like? And I did uh, one of my first videos is a tour of our boat, like a virtual tour where I walk through the whole thing. So that should come out in a couple of weeks. Um, I'll definitely keep you posted. But it'll be you can actually see everything I'm talking about, which will be really cool. Yeah, that's um, great. But uh, the technical stuff, and hopefully I don't get this wrong, but uh, <laughs> Intervolar, I know it's Canadian built. And there's these boats called the CNC Nonsuch. And a lot of people, I guess that's a pretty famous boat. And one of the designers with CNC broke off and did these Niagara's and made these, this design. And why that's important is because it's a really sturdy blue water boat. And when we say that, it means it, it can cross oceans. Like it's built to actually, you know, do heavy sea sailing anywhere around the world. But luckily about ours, it's kind of a hybrid in that it's still very comfortable. It's very easy to sail. It's um, moderate displacement, what they call it's around 15,000 pounds, which sounds to me sounds heavy. I was like, that's massive. But um, I, a lot of boats weigh a lot more. So it's still agile, right. you know, easy to sail. It's definitely easy to handle just the two of us, Philip and I. It's uh, 35 feet long. Uh, so if you kind of, I guess, imagine, I, I can't imagine what that translates to in like a house. It's kind of like a little one bedroom with a bathroom size place down below but you come down in the cabin um it's a little companionway stairs so it's four steps down you've got a galley on the right which has a two base sink and we have fresh water you can bring up either with a foot pump which we like to use uh, because you'll learn electricity is key you're very you get real scroogey with the power because you only have batteries that control everything so a uh, water pump you know to do water pressure takes power so anything that can be done manually you try to do manually so we use a foot pump and we get fresh water We've got a fridge down there, which runs off the batteries, so we try to be conservative with it, but it works just like a normal fridge, has a, um, a freezer section, can't make ice, but we can keep it cold if we get it. A three-burner stove, an oven, um, to the, they call the saloon area. We have two settees, kind of two long benches on either side, and a table that sits on one side, or you can fold it out the whole side, the whole, you know, shape of the boat. And then you go back to the back, and we have uh, one head, and it's nice that we have a stand-up shower stall separate from the head. A lot of boats, you kind of do the squat and shower. You know, you sit on the toilet and shower over it, right? which works great. I mean, you know, if that's a space is an issue, that's that's how you do it. And ours, we have the stand-up shower stall, which is separate. We honestly don't use it much to shower, but it's an awesome place to hang wet um, stuff, you know, wet gear if we ever dive or all of our bathing suits and things like that. Um, and it's nice that we have that extra space. We usually feed the shower head actually out the window, the port window right there and shower on deck. Not, you know, totally nude, but <laughs> unless we're in like the remote tropics, but you got your bathing suit on and you don't have to get anything wet down below in the cabin. You shower up top and it's perfectly warm outside. So that's a great way to do it. But we have the head there, which um, goes to the holding tank real fancy, or we can pump out if we um, are far enough away from shore. And then we have the V-berth in the back with, it's probably around a full-size bed. You know, it's, it's shaped oddly, so you can't uh, classify it exactly, but definitely enough space for Philip and I. Very comfy. Uh, we did a foam pad on it, which makes it a lot a lot better because the cushions underneath, I called them uh, grandma's couch upholstery. <laughs> they're kind of like, I mean, you can like feel them through the sheet. Yeah, they're very stiff and scratchy. Um, so the, we found some of that memory foam, that awesome, what do they call it, Tempur-Pedic stuff that just really changed the whole feel of the bed. So that's nice back there. And we have a hanging locker. So you can hang anything you want. We actually put shoe caddies in there, but plenty of space for the two of us. We've never filled that boat out to where we felt like we were cramped. Even when we went, like we did a trip to the Keys last year, 2014, 
And so it was packed, you know, for a two month trip and we still felt fine. There's just plenty of space, plenty of stowage. And it's just a great size boat for the two of us. That's down below up top. Um, it's a sloop rig, which means it has one big mast in the middle and then it's got a, a four stay in the front. So we've got two sails, one, the main sail and then the big, we call it the Jenny because it's a Genoa sail. That's kind of a nickname. And because she's a finicky broad. <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, yes. So it's big, which is good. So once you throw that out, you better be ready because you're going to, you're going to cook. You're going to go. But great um, that it's all, ours is all set up to do from the cockpit. Like you can completely single hand the boat from the cockpit. Our previous owner, he raced in the um, Mackinac race, which is up. He was in like Lake Michigan in that area. So he liked to race it himself. So he set it all up to do you know, on his own from the helm, <clears throat> which is great. We usually, you know, I'll jump up to the mast and help lines through because they get snagged, but everything pretty much is controlled from the cockpit, which is nice. And now that I know how to sail, I'm really helpful. <laughs> I definitely had to learn, but now that, now that I know, you know how the systems work and what to do, it's a lot of fun. I usually handle the lines and Philip handles the wheel, which is a much better situation. <laughs> uh. I'm sure he appreciates the help too. Instead of the, being the only one at the helm the entire time, that can get pretty tiring. Uh, really, especially if you have to hand steer, it's it's funny how it can get exhausting. I mean, you really are just holding a wheel, but especially at night, you're doing so much more. You're watching the horizon, you're watching the wind, you're back and forth with your arms and your eyes and everything. You're so focused. It's just it can be exhausting. We usually do two hour shifts um, when we're traveling together. He'll be on two hours and I'll be on two hours. And after a night of that, you you really are pretty beat. <laughs> I think you subconsciously find yourself trying to stabilize one way or another. I mean, you can only get so used to the rocking and swaying of a boat, but your body still wants to find some sort of stability it can hang on to. So I think that's taxing in and of itself. Very much so. And they say that's kind of a good thing. I tell people that, like, uh, you know, women especially, I'm like, when you're cruising, you need to eat. Like, your body's working all mm -hmm. the time. Every single moment of the whole trip, your body's doing exactly what you said, trying to stabilize. And you, you're starving. You feel famished at times. And you've got to just keep, you got to keep your body fed. You've got to keep it going. It's not a time to be like, oh, the light salad with the Diet Coke. Nope, nope. <laughs> I need a cheeseburger and, like, a granola bar and then some Cheez-Its after that. Stat, you know? <laughs> But it's definitely it's um it's good that it's active. It's a very active lifestyle. You, if you cruise around and don't even you know go jog or go to the gym, just cruising in general is going to keep you in shape, which is a really cool thing. Right. So tell me a little bit about why this is the right type of boat. I think a lot of people will be wondering, you know, when you get into this, I think there's so many variations, there's so many size and weights and drafts of boats. Why would you choose a sloop over a catch or, oh, no. you know, a deep draft versus a shallow draft? So what is it about this boat that you guys really liked? And I have to say, uh, first of all, sadly, every boat is a compromise. <laughs> yes. I say it's perfect for us. And um, in my book, I even joke around and say it's 93.46% perfect or something like that. Because there's always, always a trade-off. It's just kind of like the lesser of two evils that you can pick each time you have a choice. Um, but I'll say for us, this boat, definitely the size, 35 feet, is um, perfect. We've just found that we can handle it. You know, even if we get in trouble near a dock, one of us can jump off and kind of move it. You know, it's just it's a boat that can be controlled um, with the two of us. Anything bigger, I'd be a little little worried about us getting like a 44 or 50 foot boat. Me personally, um, unless I had like four bow thrusters on each side. <laughs> but um, one thing that Philip always says, you know, is the hold up on this boat is the mast height. Ours is uh, 50 feet, which does uh, limit us quite a bit around here, especially 
there's a lot of bridges that are older and they're they're 50 feet, you know, and so you're not you're not going to go up to it and find out if it's a couple inches. You're just going to not use that bridge at all. So we have to go offshore quite a bit um, to get like say from here to Panama City or Port St. Joe, which is just right around the bend, really. But we have to pop out offshore to make that trip. Um, which we've found that we like now that we've done some offshore passages and we enjoy them. We we like a, a day or two to be out there in the Gulf and it's just like a blank horizon with nobody out there. It's a really neat passage, so that works well for us. But initially that was a big drawback. There's parts of the ICW that we can't we can't go through. Um so that can hold you back. But size wise, I think it's perfect. It's um blue water, like because I know we haven't yet, but in the next five, ten years we certainly want to cross an ocean and get over and cruise the Med or, you know, go the South Pacific. And so there's a lot of nice boats these days and they're great if you want to just cruise local waters, you know, and just pop around, but they're not built to, to do that, to cross an ocean. And so ours is, but it wasn't out of our price range and it wasn't, um, like I said, too heavy. Some of the older ones and bigger ones we call tanks, like they're just so massive <laughs> and they're going to survive like, you know, a whole apocalypse. And that's great. We, but we didn't need one quite that quite that sturdy. So this was a nice compromise. Our previous owner, um, Jack, who we're actually still friends with, which is great because we can text him or email him with the picture of the tiniest little screw. And we don't even have to tell him what it is. We can just be like, where does this go? And he'll be like, oh, that's the screw to the such and such. I keep it in the nav station for this reason. You know, he just knows everything about the boat. He was meticulous in caring for the boat. We only try to not disappoint him. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He was just amazing. So we were handed a practically perfect boat in our opinion. Our, our surveyor, when we went out for the survey sea trial, was really just, you know, very complimentary of, you know, the maintenance and the, the well, well-maintained well status. But the more we learn about boats, the more I'm pleased with the one we picked. And we didn't know as much at the time how right it was for us, but it's definitely turned out to be 93.46% perfect. <laughs> well, good. You can't ask for much more than that. I, I tell you, always a trade-off. So ours is the best trade-off it could possibly be. Let's talk car racks, specifically Yakima and Thule. Chances are, if you're listening to our show, you either have one, want one, or you're going to need a car rack soon. Car racks, whether on the roof or on the back, need a good set of locks to keep your gear locked down to the rack and to your car. Good news. Our new sponsor, Z-Lock, has new lock sets for all Thule and Yakima racks at about one-third less than anywhere else. These lock cores are sourced from the original manufacturer and include bonus keys. Need replacement keys or cores matched to your current lock code? Z-Lock has replacement options even if you've lost all of your keys and don't know your key number. Check this out. Z-Lock is offering Adventure Sports Podcast listeners an additional 20% off their already low prices plus free shipping. Just enter the code ADVENTURE at checkout and you'll save up to 50% off a retail. Go to zlock.com forward slash adventure. That's Z-E-L-O-C-K dot com forward slash adventure and save. Some mud and obstacle runs are built for pain. Some are built so that you have to train. But Muckfest MS is built for laughs. Muckfest MS is the fun mud and obstacle 5K for everyone. There's no special training required. All you need is a sense of humor and a pair of sneakers. All fundraising proceeds benefit the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. Sign up at muckfestms.com. That's M-U-C-K-F-E-S-T-M-S dot com. We'll see you in the mud.
So you're very enthusiastic about this, I can tell. So I'm going to assume you would encourage people to give this a shot, at least look into it themselves. So tell me about that. What would you say to encourage those that are thinking about it to go ahead and and jump in? Both feet, head first, go. <laughs> yes, I am because it, it, it changed my life. I mean, it really did. I was at a point where I knew I kind of wanted to do something different. I think everybody in their career around five or six years in kind of decides or or reflects, you know, and it's like, am I enjoying this? Is this the right thing for me? At first you're just kind of like succeed, achieve, you know, go, go, go and climb the ladder and you get to a certain point and you're kind of like, Hmm. And I was, uh, five, about five years into my, uh, I was a, a law practice. I was a defense attorney in Mobile, Alabama doing medical malpractice defense, um, which is very interesting but incredibly consuming. It's kind of like you have to be a doctor, a surgeon, a nurse, and a lawyer all at the same time. And um, uh, I was going to trials and just getting really into the thick of that. And I just knew, I knew I wasn't happy. I knew it wasn't the right thing for me just because I was so stressed. I was overworked and couldn't sleep some nights, you know, just couldn't eat. I was so nervous about trials or whatnot. And um, on that fence is about the same time we started talking about getting a boat and going sailing. And I thought of it kind of it just might be an outlet, like a a hobby we do every once in a while. But once we got the boat back after the epic crossing, which was adventurous, but it was kind of like we just survived it. You know, it just it wasn't like, oh, this is a whole new lifestyle. It was like, wow, (laughs) holy crap, that tornado just went by and I'm still alive. You know, I didn't really understand what it was about. When we started taking our boat out here in our um, local waters and anchoring out, that's kind of when everything changed for me that the boat just stopped moving finally. Cause it is kind of like a child. You're worried about it. You're always monitoring something, maintaining a system, checking on it when you're going. Then when you anchor, it's just like the whole world just stops and everything's quiet and you can have a drink or read a book or go swim or whatever you want. And everything just kind of slows down. And we started anchoring the boat out and, and cruising. We'd go out four or five days here, 10 days there. And then we did the keys in 2014 Um, but I knew well before then I was like, this is a lifestyle for me. If we can make enough, some meager amount of money to take this boat and just drop it at every single anchorage around the world. I was like, let's go tomorrow. I'm, this is it. So I left the the practice. I put in kind of like an eight month notice (laughs) and said, yep, I'm going to jump on a sailboat and cruise the world. It's funny. They didn't believe me. They really, really didn't. They couldn't believe I was going to do this. The day actually came that I was supposed to leave and they still were like, but you're serious. You're, and I'm like, (laughs) I told you didn't prepare. Like, I'm like, what do you not get about this? But I was ready, ready to go. And I know that sounds that's not for everybody. I I totally get that. And my message is I always like to tell people, um, even if it's not cruising, if you want to climb Mount Everest or go to the park more every week or, you know, whatever your we call it this big goal that you have. You know, I just want people to see it as real. And what can you do tomorrow to get a little bit closer to that goal? Even if it's like go to the park and walk instead of watch a TV show or, you know, whatever, put $5 back instead of getting that soda or something. You can, There's something you can do every day to get closer to your goal. And if you want to take big steps, great, take big ones, but make sure you're, you're trying to get there because everybody can get a boat. Everybody can cruise. You just have to be ruthless with how you spend your time and how you spend your money. And that's kind of hard. A lot of people struggle to look at it that way, but especially time is money. If you try to spend your time like money, and I I don't ever want to get preachy about it, but just imagine if somebody asked you, you know, hey, it's going to cost you $100 to sit on the couch and watch TV, or it's free to go to the park. I mean, you just, you approach it differently. See what I'm saying? If you, if you think about it that way, you know, and so it allows you more time 
to do the things you want to do and you require less money to survive. So it's kind of like a win-win combination. Well, and I think the uh, I think the the life aboard a boat forces frugality. I mean, there's a lot of examples of that. But one, if you're going to do it, you have to get rid of everything. Very much so. You can't take all that stuff on your boat. Um, the reality is boats are not that expensive when you're comparing them to a house. Oh, very much so. Yeah. And then, you know, like you talk about, you know, just trying to uh, to meter electricity and water. Um, it just it puts you in the, the frugal mindset just on a, in an everyday uh, respect, you know, because you're you're just having to meter everything and watch everything and think about it. But your entertainment, like you said, is pulling into a mooring and and dropping anchor and then sitting there relaxing. You know, maybe you take the dinghy to shore and, and poke around a little bit, but you're not out consuming. You're not out buying things to bring back to the boat because they simply won't fit. Exactly. And you're, um, it just changes how you value everything. Because once you start to look at everything and whether you have to give it away or sell it or keep it, you, you really start to value everything differently. Like how much do I need this, I don't know, insulated water cooler with the logo on the side? Like, do I really need this? You know, <laughs> right. How much do I need this GoPro attachment with the extra hooded valve or whatever. I'm making all this up. Obviously, I don't know what I'm talking about because I don't have these things. <laughs> but you start to look at them and think, you know, do I really need this? What enjoyment do I get out of it? And actually enhances the things in your life that bring you more enjoyment because you just hold on to the quality items, you know, and you find better ways to entertain yourself, like reading a book or like you said, going ashore in the dinghy This totally like not totally free. It might cost two cents of dinghy gas or if you row, I guess if you row, it's free. See? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you get more and more frugal every time. It's just it's, it's enha- enhanced lifestyle, in my opinion, honestly. And the people I've met out there, I was lucky enough to go to the Bahamas this past July and um, crew on a boat in a regatta. It was my first time doing a regatta, my first time in the Bahamas. And the people I met, just all different walks of life, some wealthy, some super poor, some, you know, highly intellectual, but everybody had this rich background and they were so interesting to talk to, you know, and they just, it's, there's incredible people out there doing this. That's, that's one of the great things. The cruising community is just rich with people. It's amazing. How about a harrowing experience? Is there any kind of fun story that you went through that you could just, uh, Oh my gosh, way, way too many. And I actually, the one, my favorite ones are kind of in the book. So I'll save those because definitely want everybody to check that out because I, fair enough, so many more, but the one um, um, that came to mind when I figured you might ask this question, of course, and we call it the mid-sea mast climb. <laughs> you might be thinking you know exactly what that means, and you probably do. Yeah. What happened was, it was it's, um, kind of a long story. What happened was, we were on the boat, um, we were headed down to the Keys, and this was probably May. We left in April and got back in May of last year. So we're on our way down, and I think we were headed towards Clearwater. That's right, Clearwater, Florida. And it was kind of our big jump. It's like a two-day, two-night cross, um, crossing across the Gulf. And um, it's evening time. We think everything is looking good. We're having a, a nice, wonderful evening. And we were going to um, put the sail down. And so we go up topside, and we've got the main halyard in one hand, and we're getting ready to do everything because the halyard you have to hook to the sail you know, to raise it. That's how you raise the sail. So we were putting the, the halyard on the deck for the night, thinking, you know, we don't need the sail. We're good to go. And I can't tell you what happened. I won't tell you which crew member let go of the halyard, but the halyard gets let go of. 
<laughs> oh, no. I know. And you don't think it's, I, I didn't kind of think it was a big deal right when it happened. I was just like, oh, well, grab it. You know, it is flailing around. Like, I mean, like one of those water hose on a cartoon, like the fire, right. you know, that you're chasing around. And, and that can like, bite you pretty quickly. Yeah, I know. You got to watch out. But you actually wouldn't care if it would hit you. That would be nice. Anything that it would touch your body so you could grab it. This guy was like jumping around and Philip akins it to a dog, like with like panties in his mouth, just running away from you. <laughs> so funny, you know. Yeah, we started calling him Hal the dog, you know, get over here, you mangy mutt. You know, we couldn't <laughs> catch him. And he's bouncing all over the place. So we're trying. Our first idea was to get the boat hooked, you know, like maybe we can grab that little shackle, get it back on the boat. We think that's going to work. And that it wasn't long enough. The, the halyard seemed to be kind of like ooching up somehow. It was getting like higher and higher up in the air as we're jumping up trying to catch it. So then we get the, I call it the butterfly net. It's probably like a fish net. Just looks like one of those big old dog catcher things. And that's not high enough either. So we duct tape it, of course, me, duct tape it to the boat hook. So we've got this like seven foot kind of contraption. <laughs> We're swinging around out there trying to catch stupid Hal who's running around with panties in his mouth. <laughs> and it's just, it probably looked insane. Any boat that passed us, thankfully, we were out there alone. But what happened was the halyard um, swung around the backstay like three times. Like think of a tetherball around a pole. Just <laughs> and it was stuck there. And we were like, oh, God, what are we going to do now? But nothing. You can't. So it's, it's too high up. It's maybe 10 or 12 feet up the stay. We can't climb it. It's nighttime. So we were like, all right, forget it. It's going to stay there. We'll get it tomorrow. It's not a big deal in daylight. I wake up the next morning and Philip tells me I've got uh, some good news and then some not so good news. You know, I'm like, well, well, just give me the not so good news. The halyard had climbed all the way to the top of the mast. Oh, no. Yeah. And you just didn't we just didn't think that would happen. But I guess if you imagine the weight of it is held on the backstay and there's all this weight of the line, you know, down the mast. Just he how he was quiet because he was busy. He was climbing that darn force. He's scooching away with those panties. He was at the backstay. He's going, going, going. So he makes it to the top and he's just waving at us. He's like, hey, 50 feet up there, you know, and we're still, I can't imagine how far to clear water, at least six or seven hours, you know, and the wind's picking up. We've been motoring all night. We hate to motor. You know, you always want to sail if you can sail, saves fuel, saves the engine, all that. So we get the brilliant idea to send Annie up the mast <laughs> in it's about two to three foot waves, which feels fine on the boat down below. But I tell everybody about the treetop phenomenon, you know, uh, like when you yes. climb the tall tree, it's amazing how much different it is. Even halfway up the mast, I started to feel it, you know, and it started swaying back and forth a couple more scooches up. And Philip was cranking me in. He had that we had to use the spinnaker halyard because, you know, we're going up to get the main halyard and we had never used our spinnaker halyard, Travis. <laughs> and it was not like, a good time to test it out. Yeah, exactly. With yours truly, you know, and it is, you would have thought I weighed 400 pounds the way that thing's carrying on like, you know, and I'm like, come on, get me up there. But so we're using the spinnaker halyard as the main to get me up. And of course we have a backup, but um, the backup doesn't come out at the top of the mast. So it's not going to, save my butt entirely. But we start getting it up there about two thirds of the way up. I am swaying so much. Like I can't let go of the mast. There's just no way. Like I'd be just like the halyard, just banging around up there. So it's like hands on the mast, legs on the mast, everything clung to the mast. And Philip is pulling me up, 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 up. And everything is scraping on my body, all the lights and things on the mast. Like, cause I just can't let go. There's just no way. But I get to the top and I'm like 10 inches 10 inches away. <laughs> I'm like, no, my gosh. So I have to ooch out of the bosun's chair and I'm just gripped to the mass, like Kung Fu death grip. And 
the last little just foot of the mast, but I finally get to Halyard, get back in the bosun's chair, and everything is on me is shaking. My legs are shaking, the calves are shaking, you know, kind of anxiety, fear, exhaustion, everything. But I'm like, get me down, you know. <laughs> uh, so Philip starts finally letting me down and easing me back. But it was, um, I've never had a fear like that, but also an appreciation of just where we're at, what we're doing, and then living in your skin. You know, I was, I'm, I was in that moment. There's nowhere else in the world my mind was at than <laughs> right there. So I'm in that mess, which is a cool feeling. Yeah, it's better than sitting at your desk waiting for 5 p.m., but pretty harrowing. <laughs> yeah, you, you felt like you were alive at that moment for sure. Exactly. And maybe you might die the next moment. You know, I might, but I would. I was thinking to myself, what a way to go. You know, I, I made the right decisions. I'm out here on a boat. It might happen, but here I am, you know, and we went up and came back down and we never unclipped the halyard from the sail anymore, ever. No, no. You learned <laughs> that lesson once. Yeah. You know, I can, yeah. I can relate to that story. I, it wasn't. It wasn't like your situation. We weren't underway, but I was the youngest, so I was the lightest member of my family. Oh, yeah. And nice? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes. Um, so on the, the boat that we had, it was 55-foot uh, mast on it, and we needed somebody needed to go up and replace the masthead light. And, of course, I got to ride in the bosun's chair. Yay. But <laughs> we were at a dock, you know, so even though we were stable, you know, there was a little bit of uh, water movement coming in. And I was amazed, just like you said, you get up that, the boat is really not moving under your feet. You don't feel much at all yeah, at dock. It goes fine on the deck, yeah. Exactly. But you get up at 55 foot high, and I swear that thing must have been swaying probably five <laughs> feet in either direction. You're thinking, what? What? <laughs> and then going on? somehow you make up your mind that your weight at that leverage in that distance is somehow going to topple this 30,000 <laughs> pound boat over. You know, it just feels like that. With the way know, it's moving, yeah. Up. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, wow, good for you for going up there underway. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping we never have to do that again. I'd done it at marinas and stuff, and it was fine. It was beautiful. You know, it's great. I just I didn't, didn't even cross my mind as we started to do it, that whole swaying phenomenon. Right. It was kind of dangerous, but I never dreamed I wouldn't even be able to let go of the mass. Like that, once it kind of dawned on me halfway up, I was like, oh, boy. Oh, it's <laughs> not good, you know. But well, and the terrible thing with that story, too, is we – um. We knew when I got to the top of the mast, I may not be able to reach the halyard because it might be, like I said, about 10 inches out of my reach. And so we tied the boat hook to my bosun's chair. It was kind of like keys on a chain. You know, we latched it to the chair, but then I also had this extended kind of rope so I could pull it out and use it to get the halyard if I needed to from the safety of the bosun's chair was the, the anticipation. But halfway up the mast, that thing came undone. And it was banging around like keys on the end of a chain, banging my legs, banging the mast, just bang, bang. I couldn't do anything about it. And it finally snapped off about three quarters of the way up. And I watched it flip like a toothpick in the wind. I mean, it was like, it's like a four foot boat hook. Just choom, right. choom. Thankfully, over the stern, like past the cockpit. And I'm like, oh my God, it could have been paled Philip all the way. I mean, who knows? But it's just one of those things you're like, okay, that was a bad idea. <laughs> now yes. I know. You know. <laughs> Lesson two learned. Exactly. A lot of lessons. That was a very fun day, but it ended up being a great story. That one actually I did um cruising out post pick that one up again just probably because it's so funny. <laughs> the stupid things we do on the boat, but that one came out this past summer. It's called Hal Unleashed. <laughs> very cool. <laughs> that was a fun one. All right, so let's go into your book a little bit. The uh the book is called Salt of a Sailor, and it basically chronicles your um, process of of finding this boat and taking it on its first voyage. So tell our listeners about the book. 
Yeah, and uh, Salt of a Sailor, kind of where that came from, because I definitely wanted to tell the story of us finding the boat and sailing it across the Gulf. And like I said, some of my more harrowing stories are definitely in that very first passage. Um, but when I started to write it, and when I, well, actually, when I started to write the blog, which is where it came from, havewindwilltravel.com, I started chronicling our story. As I did, it's kind of when I realized, like I said, these um, good old country skills that I had were translating so well to sailing, fixing things with duct tape and yada, yada, yada. And so the book kind of goes back through some of my childhood experiences um, and how they taught me something that was beneficial in the sailing world. Like one quick example, um, <laughs> Philip was talking about you need to learn the systems on the boat because you may you may have to use them a different way which I guess what I just talked about using a spinnaker halyard to raise me up the mast is an exact example, you know, because that's not what the spinnaker halyard is normally used for, but you know it's at the top of the mast and you can raise things with it. And I was like, what does he mean? Like, use them a different way, you know? And so he's starting to tell me this and my mind just starts churning and I'm thinking back and I was on the side of the interstate. It was one of those passages from New Mexico to Alabama with my dad and the big rig. And I was probably about four years old and I was doing what we call our business on the side of the road. And I got stung by this wasp, like on right in the center of my eyelid, just when it swelled up huge. And I'm running back to my dad at the truck, flailing and crying as a four year old would. And he's looking around to try to find something to help me out. And he's a big Copenhagen um, user. So he <laughs> scooped in his mouth and pulled out a furry black wad of tobacco and just right on my eye. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's great. And he's holding it there, looking around for something to help me out. He digs this true story, digs around in his truck and he finds and don't ask me why. It may have been some lady friend or it may be a useful device on the Peterbilt. I don't know. He had a maxi pad and he okay. takes it in his teeth and pulls off the back little sticky thing, slaps it on my face. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And man, dad fixed it. And my brother is dying laughing. He's probably nine or ten knows exactly what's on my face. You know, so does my dad. But I'm walking around. I go to truck stop, loves, you know, and get my little truck stop. I've got a big maxi pad on my face. But I was like, that's one of the stories in the book. I was like, oh, creative systeming. You know, it's adhesive backed and it sticks. Then you can use it a different way. Gotcha. I got this sale and stuff. I totally get this. But that's just kind of an example. That's where the stories kind of play in. And and um, it definitely does chronicle and that it has that whole story from beginning to end of us getting the boat back home to Pensacola. But that's kind of what happens throughout is sort of highlights um, and gems from my childhood all the way through. But I self-published that one uh, February of this year. Uh, I had been writing the blog. I started the blog kind of like a lot of people do, you know, when they get a boat, they're like, oh, I want to keep family and friends in contact and post pictures. And I did the same thing, you know, and just started writing. And I was actually trying to hack it as a writer at the time. I'd written this novel, which is <laughs> it's kind of like a saucy John Grisham piece, but um, not it's not my best work, but it's fine. I wrote a book, you know, I, and so I was like, I can do this. I can write. But it was took the blog to kind of show me what what my voice should be. I didn't know that right. I could write just like I speak, you know, and tell funny stories and even do them in country dialect or slang if I want to. You know, it just kind of took me dabbling in that blog world to find that voice. And a lot of people seem to really like it. And so I did the book, you know, and it was a lot of blog posts, but polished together with all the background stories. And um, I just decided to self-publish. I talked to um, Bob Bitchin, and it's not a <laughs> not an expletive. I swear that's his name. He's the publisher at uh, Cruising <laughs> I don't Out. I bleep that one out. Yeah, you can bleep it if you want, but that really is his name. He um, 
he I he had published a couple of my stories. So I went to him and I was like, hey, if you want to help me with this book or get involved, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of coming to you as a publisher in this world, you know, this cruising world to tell me what you think. And he was like, self-publish. Absolutely. He was like, don't let anybody have any say over your stuff. And he was so just adamant and quick about it. I was like, well, you know, I guess I'll just give it a try. And I played around on Amazon Create Space and Kindle and just kind of goobered my way through it. I'm, I'm rewriting it now because it had so many typos, so many typos. Anybody who's out there, I'm sorry. I'm fixing it. <laughs> I Get over it. <laughs> I edited it myself, but but it's still a great story. I mean, I'm fine with that, but I do want to correct it for that reason, just because it is your work out there and you want to make it the best it can be. But self-published it and... um Definitely have enjoyed that process. Uh, my whole marketing background, sort of a different story, but thankfully my own marketing skills sort of came in handy when I now had a product of my own, you know, and then I started marketing myself. So that worked well. So I use Facebook. Um, I have the blog. We do a weekly blog still to this day. I did um, 18 leaks, I think 18 leaks and a dozen patches. It was that Kathy Matea song, 18 wheels and a dozen roses. <laughs> we did uh, 13 patches on the floor of our dinghy last week. I saw that article. Lots of fun. So still doing that and I love it and it's a good, um, it helps me, you know, practice my craft and keep up with my writing and, and it's, it turns out to be like a scrapbook of our cruising life, which is totally cool because we still use it now. You know, what about that Marina and Gasparilla? Where did we go eat there? You know, and I'll be like, oh, let me pull up my blog post. I have it right here, you know, just kind of chronicles our whole story, which is really fun that we have forever, you know, that'll be out there. But that's how the book came about. I have a second one that'll probably come out this October. Similar in the fact that it covers sort of childhood stories and how they play into the cruising, but a different passage. It's going to be part of our trip to the Keys. Um, so I, I'm excited. That one's coming out later this year, but doing the Facebook and soon to start on YouTube. <laughs> if I can get my personality in check. <laughs> Apparently I'm a little cheesy. <laughs> no, I think you're funny. You're very open. It's fun to listen to. Well, I get a little excited on the camera, as you can imagine. So I'm just working on toning that in, reining that in. I think I'll be good to go. <laughs> Don't do it. People want to see energetic, fun-filled people. Well, good. Then, they're gonna have to, <laughs> then they'll fast forward me and they'll enjoy it. <laughs> But it's definitely been fun. The all of that started with, um, you know, people looking to cruise and get out there and make money. Our our goal, which some people save up a big pot of money and go, you know, and they have this whatever that number is, and it just dwindles as they're out there. And that that could be fine. You know, that works for a lot of people because they don't want to have to work or do anything while they're out there. We definitely wanted the option to have at least a little bit coming in so that we can every once in a while, you know, go out to eat or whatever, you know, and we have this little trickle coming in live frugally, but we can keep going and going as long as we want. So our goal is to make money um, remotely somehow. That was kind of when we first started talking about, let's really go cruise, let's do this. And one of the first things I did, and just advice to anybody, and I had a lot of people help me along the way, a lot of people give me good insight, but to use whatever skills you have creatively. Like I was a lawyer, so I had all these kind of lawyer kind of talents and skills, but you know, how can I use those if I'm not sitting in an office with clients? And, you know, legal malpractice insurance, you know, how do I do that? But I wrote a book on hourly billing, like how to bill better by the hour, just because I was um, I was fairly good at it. I had a lot of young attorneys, fellow colleagues ask me, you know, how do you bill? How do you bill so clearly? How do you bill so many hours? So I was like, I'm sick of telling you people I'm going to write it in a book. <laughs> That's a good idea. So I wrote the book and Philip was actually a big um, uh, motivator in that regard. Wrote it, um, self-published it. It was my first one to self-publish. 
and I had to build a website for it and like an e-commerce for it. So it would sell online because that was my goal is to have it all just be working remotely. And I screwed up a ton, you know, and I learned a lot and, and definitely figured out how to market because I just published it. Travis, I just clicked like boom and put it online and thought it was going to sell. And it didn't. <laughs> Funny how that works. Yeah. <laughs> like people have to know about it. It's kind of frustrating. But um. So it was kind of like beat my head against the wall for like six months. I was like, what, how do I do this? You know? And so it was Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, constant contact, you know, all this kind of stuff. And once I figured out how to do that, when I would talk to people from my past, you know, what are you doing now? And I've got this book, da, da, da. And they're like, man, I'm struggling to market too. You know, I need to work on this, that, and the other. I started to think, well, I can do this for other people now that I've made all the mistakes, you know, let me help some old friends out. And so I first, when I first started, it was for legal kind of entities, law firms and a court reporter um, was one of my first clients in Mobile and I do all their social media marketing like that way they don't have to worry about it, which is kind of nice. They don't have to get on Facebook and look catchy or do their tweets or whatever blog posts. I just handle that for them. And it works well for me because I have the skill set, like I said, a creative way to use it. I know how I know their clients and what they need to be saying and projecting out there. So it helps that I have the legal background better than just maybe a blogger off the street. You know, so that kind of helps me fit that niche better. But I have a couple of clients that I do that for now, and um, that's completely remote. You know, just as long as I have a laptop and an internet connection, I can post all of their stuff for them, you know, write their blogs for them. And that's a nice just kind of bread and butter income coming in. It's not major, but it's enough to especially carry my part, you know, and when Philip can find a way to transition as well, I think we'll be able to just go, you know, and keep going as long as those, as long as those clients keep paying me. <laughs> I got to keep working, <laughs> but it's not well, that's the goal. <laughs> yeah, a few hours a day, you know, and, and then I spend a lot of time marketing myself. Of course, you know, I have to if I want my books to sell and then the rest of it writing or playing or whatever else I can fit in. But I definitely work very hard right now on all of that. And I hope to work less. But it's it's nice that it seems possible, you know, that I can go. I feel lucky that I've been able to travel this road and succeed somewhat enough to keep you know floating, which is really, really good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've figured out things to do from the cockpit of a sailboat, and that's uh, that's the important step right there. Yeah. And I I, yeah. I like the advice you gave. You know, find something that you actually do well now, and figure out how to turn that into money instead of trying to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, there's and it's it's kind of hard to think outside of your own box at first, but you can kind of Google around, you know, see what other companies and products are out there, and it might inspire you to think like, hey, I know how to do that. Well, I can train other people. I can consult or I can handle these cases from afar. Or I can write for this person or, you know, just you have, everybody has talents. They just don't all have to be utilized in a cubicle, you know? This summer, introduce your kids to the power of authentic outdoor adventure. Serving school-age kids from pre-K to the 12th grade, Avid for Adventure attendees climb, paddle, bike, hike, and thrive in the outdoors. Avid for Adventure offers authentic adventure camps different from other outdoor camps. Their highly skilled and educated staff, unique adventure activities such as rock climbing, kayaking, and biking, and their focus on outdoor confidence building for young kids is what sets them apart. Learn more and sign up at www.avid4.com. Or call 1-800-977-9873. Hey, real quick, if you happen to be listening to this episode on its release date, which is August 17th, 2015, Annie was kind enough to make her book, Salt of a Sailor, available for free for you guys for today only. So hop on over to the Kindle store and get your free copy. And be sure to visit havewindwilltravel.com to say thanks. 
Okay, so the best place to find your book, Salt of a Sailor, uh, is Amazon, correct? That is correct. It's on um, hard copy on Amazon, and Kindle seems to be my biggest seller probably because a lot of my folks are out on boats or on the water, and so Kindle is um, definitely the best place. But two, yep, the two places there, Amazon and Kindle. Awesome. And then they can come visit your blog. Yes, havewindwilltravel.com is a um, great place. We do weekly posts. Like I said, I'm about to start the videos, so I'll get those going hopefully the next month or so. And we'll have a YouTube channel, which everybody's kind of familiar with. Jump on there. It'll be Have Wind Will Travel as well. Um, I'm on Patreon, which is an awesome site. I don't know if you've heard of that one. It's a, um, a great way for creators to kind of crowdfund. You know, if you like what they're doing, you know, give them a buck a week or something. You know, it's very minor stuff but you know that we support several people that make videos and love what they do and so that's a great way to just help people that are doing something that you like to watch and see every day because a lot of time and effort goes into some of these videos and blog posts but I love to do it but it's just a way of people say oh my god I love what you do you know they can click on there and become a patron and then they get some more free stuff I do a lot of videos and things that are just for them and be like oh thanks to you this is just for you and so that's a good way for a kind of the artists and the fans to interact which is really really good so those three would have face i'm on facebook of course <laughs> who isn't <laughs> but um <laughs> it, that links on there too i think it says like stalk me on facebook seriously i don't mind <laughs> it's all on the website it's, it's i hope it doesn't look like one of those smattering of ads that drives you crazy but always with the blog post right to start good stories just this kind of things i've been talking about here always love to put a little annie spin on everything we do and um, my book and my um, Patreon and all of that is right there on HaveWindWillTravel.com. Oh, good. We'll get that uh, linked up in the show notes and make it easy on people. Just visit their, our site and you'll find uh, Annie's links. Yeah, I'd love to hear from everybody. Anybody that reads the book, um, you know, enjoys it or wants to share it or wants to point out another typo. That's <laughs> uh, I love to hear from people. So feel free to reach out. Well, I look forward to reading the book myself. I'm gonna. I like. I like sailing. I'm always interested in how people manage to do things like this without doing the the regular work in a cubicle, driving in traffic, you know, yeah. type lifestyle. It's, so it's kind of blown my mind how many people are out here doing this. I kind of thought, you know, we were striking on a new chord. And I will say right. they're they're a bit older, which is and not in a bad way at all. It's, we're usually the exception, Philip and I, and when we find cruisers and kind of get to talking to them. Which makes me just even more excited. I'm like, how cool that we figured this out a little earlier and at least, you know, trying it now. It is, it is kind of scary and we do fail at times, but we're trying, you know, and anybody can. So that's a cool thing. I definitely think that's um, something anybody can do now. Don't wait. Of course, that's the same message everybody says, you know, go now. Life is short, but it's true. They're, they're but it's true, right? For a <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's because they work. Right, but anybody right. that wants to check out the book, um, I always tell people I like to give out uh, a free read now and then usually on my Facebook page. I'll be like free Friday. Who wants to check it out for free? But if you send me an email, my email link is on the blog, but it's Annie at gmail.com. Really easy. Send me an email and I'm happy to send anybody a PDF to read the book. I just ask that you, if you like it, do a review, tell your Facebook friends, you know, and just kind of spread the love, but happy to share that. Spread love and throw her a few bones on uh, Patreon. I agree. That's a, it's a neat way to, to help support the, the free content that we get in life. There's a lot of free stuff that comes over the internet that, uh, that people would love to be compensated a, a dollar or two for. So go check that out. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay. All of your stories have been funny. You've had me <laughs> laughing for the entire hour, but did you save me one good one for the end of the show? Uh, no, Maxi Pad. That was it. No. <laughs> 
Are you kidding? Do you think well, I kept thinking the maxi pad story? I kept thinking your dad's gonna say, "Well, that ain't gonna help you a lick," but you sure do look funny. <laughs> no, he helps and makes fun of me. That's good. Both sides of the story. <laughs> I'm looking at my. It's funny. I did just a quick little outline so I would know, and it says maxi pad story. It really does say that. <laughs> uh, but I do have one more good one for you because this is pretty good. So I'm uh, known for trying to fix things uh, in a way that's usually not permanent. It's We call it an anti-fix, and it's usually like staples, duct tape, hot glue, you know, whatever will work in the moment. And we were in, uh, it's actually when I met Pam Wall recently, I don't know if you know who that is, West Marine rep for years and years and years now. She's an independent cruising consultant, but just awesome lady. She loves cruisers and loves to everything you're talking about, wanting to encourage people to do. She does it like me, but like on crack, like she is out there encouraging everybody to go but I met her for the first time and went to lunch with her and I had these wedge shoes on that I was wearing and they started to come apart like at the seams like rip apart like so the flat bottom underneath my foot came apart from the wedge (laughs) I was trying to walk back to Philip so we could get going again and it was falling apart and I'm flapping along the street like Daffy Duck and we get to um, back home to Pensacola and I was like I'm gonna save these shoes I'm going to do it. I was like, I'm going to use some 5200 on the boat. I'm going to glue these suckers back together. <laughs> I don't know if you know what 5200 is, but it's very permanent. It's They call it like, it, you, if you use that, you want it to stick. It's like the most permanent bonding agent you can use on a boat. If you put it on there, it's supposed to stick forever. And so I'm on the boat, and Philip's actually taking pictures. This is going to be a blog post soon. It just has to be 5200 uses for 5200. I'm gluing my shoes back together, you know, and I'm getting them and getting all the glue in the right places. Everything looks great. And so I push them together, the wedge and the the top, and then I decide to stand on it to put weight on it to hold everything in place. So I'm standing there, and I start gluing the next one, and I I step. I take a step. And so I pick up the glued foot, which comes apart from the wedged bottom, and I step (laughs) on the floor of the boat. Oh, no. With 5,200. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. And Phyllis like, not the teak. You know, he's like, clean up. You know? I'm like, oh, gosh. And so I've got my gluey feet back up in the air, and I'm on hands and knees, like, trying to scrub the 5,200 off the teak bottom. <laughs> Thankfully, I got it off. The shoes, eh, we had to scrap them. <laughs> but I did try. I tried to save the shoes with 5,200. So any clever oh, cruisers funny. out there, anything similar, I'm, I'm not sure it involves wedge heels, but... <laughs> I'd give anyone a run for their money with some boat fixes. Use some 5200, but be very careful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's Definitely. Great. That's that was great. completely unscripted. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, Andy, they've been fun stories, and uh, I could make this into a two hour podcast easily. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we should wrap it up. I appreciate you taking the time and uh, telling us some of those stories and hopefully inspiring some people to go out and, and try their adventure on a sailboat because it sounds like it's an awesome blast. I hope so. It's 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 not as big and far away and scary as you think. And it's not this huge dream like with just cocktails and sunshine. It's a lot of hard work, but it's fulfilling in that regard, you know, and, and it's it's the best of all worlds and it's frugal fulfilling you know it's it's challenging it's frustrating but it's awesome just definitely take steps now if you can small steps that's fine but be creative and be brave and get out there and i'd like to see you give me a cocktail when you see me (laughs) yep absolutely (laughs) all right thanks very much no problem thank you travis all right take care Would you like to be a guest on an upcoming show? Just go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click contact us.